You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to this, another episode of Tales with TR. I'm your host, Terry Ryan, coming at you from Mount Pearl, Newfoundland. Under alert five, strict lockdown right now, I'll have you know. But um, yeah, we were, uh, as I mentioned last week, we were sailing along in this COVID process. Um, fairly normal actually it wasn't normal but it, it was more normal than most other places put it that way we had a case here or there often months would go by we had none uh but that has changed another 40 odd cases today hopefully we can take care of it quick people here are uh, pretty good about it i gotta be honest i do expect this to be uh at least this cluster to be done with in in a couple weeks Anyway, I'm fucking sick of talking about COVID, to be honest with you. Um, the guest today is awesome. Uh, you know, so to go from something negative to something positive, uh, Jim Cuddy, man, Jay Cuddy, he's just a great singer, songwriter, great guy. Jim's one of those guys, just po- positive vibes, even e- even if you're in <laughs> a negative setting. Not, not that I have been in a lot of negative settings with Jim, but it just I very rarely remember being in his company without a smile now but that's the the other thing is you know jim's one of those guys every time we see each other it's just a fantastic situation it's like a playoff hockey game or um he just had an album out or a concert or just a night in toronto jim really embraces toronto i love it because not a lot of people do even people that live there they'll go oh you know i Love to be out in, in the country it might be true but i i rarely hear someone go you know i love downtown toronto well I do. I'm glad I live where I live, but I tend to embrace it. Well, this guy is is the ambassador for it. I mean, Skyscraper Soul is one of my, oh man, definitely favorite albums since 2000. I, I know I might be a little bit biased here, but Jim's a great singer songwriter and I can't, I don't think I'm alone there. Um, and you know, the, uh, the, the, the song Skyscraper Soul, let alone the album. But, and, you know, just knowing him over the years, I hear him talk about it with, with deep affection. We hang out at Cameron House in downtown on Queen Street. Uh, and Cameron House, I've seen his son Devin play there a ton. Um, and kind of where I got to know Devin, actually, uh, he first had an album out. Devin's, what was the name of it? I got to look it up. One second. I had a great, my favorite was song was Afghanistan. Just one second. Ah, the Devin Cuddy band uh, album. 
This is just volume one, 2012. Uh, and I, it's weird because I know Jim, obviously, and I knew Jim before that. We started really hanging out 2009 at the Juno Awards. There was a, like a Juno Cup hockey game um, here in Newfoundland. Uh, I'll tell you the story in a sec. I had to grab a coffee. Watch this one sec. Okay, got my coffee, but I uh, can't remember. I can't remember exactly what I was talking about. Um, I do remember it was about, about Jim and, and the Juno Cup. I don't know where I was with that, but anyway, this was 2009, and there were uh, there were planes being fogged out so that the Junos were here. I think they've only been here twice. What a time! I don't know why they're not here more. Um, but and I mean it. Like the, the the musicians loved it. I don't have to ask Jim. That'd be one of the questions. But um, yeah, I don't. I wasn't scheduled to play in the game. As I remember it, Jim remembers it differently, but, you know, he, I think he's being nice because he definitely didn't know me. We'd met. I met Jim in the Montreal Canadiens dressing room. Uh, actually, outside, but it was in the Bell, what is now the Bell Centre. And I also met him when I played with the St. John's Maple Leafs uh, at, in Memorial Stadium. I, he came on the ice with us. And then anyway, over the years, played these hockey tournaments against each other, and I got to really know him in 2009. So what happened, yeah, the, the planes got fogged out. I don't know, like Mark Messi, I think Paul Coffey. There was a bunch supposed to play in the game that didn't. So I got a phone call uh, that afternoon to go and play in the game if I wanted, if I wanted. I was, yeah, of course. Uh, so Jim has a like a charity hockey game while the Juno's going on, like the weekend of the Juno's. Um, I believe it's the day before. Yeah. And it's a fundraiser, but you know, there's a lot of NHLers playing ex NHLers. And then, you know, whoever's up for the Junos that wants to play. Remember the I, dude in Billy talent. I forget his name. Forgive me for that. Um, he's going to hear this if he listens and uh, I skate with him. And anyway, it's escaping me right now. But uh, classified uh, hip hop artist, a lot of you guys know, uh, played in the game. I remember um, Jim, obviously, uh, a few of the great big, or a couple of them, Sean McCann and Alan Doyle. I don't know if they played that year. They've definitely played in them. Alan played that year. Alan Hawko from Republic of Doyle. Um, and anyway, it, it was it was a great time. Bieber was there. I'm surprised he was 16 or 17. I, I remember him being there because I met him the next night uh, and, you know, he was young, but he was, he was a huge um, just getting there, but he was well-established uh, anyway. He didn't play in the game, although he probably would have been the best hockey player of the bunch. I hear he's pretty good. Jim's not bad, by the way. Jim's a Jim, like Jim is legit good hockey player. You know, like you, you might laugh and say beer league, but, I suppose, but like in any in any regular intermediate level, Jim Cuddy's a good player. I can't imagine if he put the time in to that that he did, you know, writing music and playing music. Uh, but anyway, just an athlete. But uh, uh, and by the way, uh, Jim also plays with Sam, his son. I don't believe his daughter Emma plays. I can ask him that. But I got into Devon because I was hanging around at the Cameron House on Queen Street in the late 2000s, right around that time. I always liked Queen Street, but at that particular time, the Cameron House. And Jim and Devin, I, I don't know if they got a slice of the pie there. I have no idea. I sh probably should, but I, I don't know. But I, I know that I would go there just to see Devin and his band. And um, 
Jim and I would hang out and we'd play hockey. You know, I'd go up there for months on end sometimes. Anyway, I'm getting away from the story uh, as I often do. Anyway, so yeah, as I remember it, there was it was planes got fogged down. There's a few players that couldn't play, so I got asked to play, and so did Harold Drukin. I know that we weren't going to play that morning. I did. I was excited for the June. I was actually I didn't even want to go to the hockey game because I was depressed. I couldn't play. I was like, man, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be down in everybody's face, looking like a super fan. So I said, I'll just wait and meet them at at. Uh, at the Junos because it was at mile one center and there was a few great performances and uh, you know, I had some tickets anyway, get to playing the game. So yeah, we're whirling around and warm up. I'm pumped. And I just went right over to Jim. I can't remember what I said, but I, you know, it had to do with, you know, afterwards, can we please have a beer and sit down? And I, I wouldn't have said that otherwise, but the fact that I was playing in the game and I told him that we'd met, he says, he remembered, I guarantee you didn't. It was just on two separate occasions, like at the rink. And there was far more popular players on both teams at the time that I was at. Well, you, you wouldn't even have realized I was on the Canadians. Literally, I was like 25 games in the year. I think I had like one or two played like there was no one. But, but it was a great experience meeting Blue Rodeo and everything. But anyway, in this particular time, I'm like, you know, this is a platform. I'll never get to talk to Jim Cuddy again. Uh, or so I thought. So I just went right over. He was on the other team, too. I just skated over into their zone and mentioned that. So these guys are all on the road. I guess it's in Toronto most of the time. And I suppose being a Canadian award show and Toronto being, you know, the epicenter for. I, I don't want to say the arts community, but I kind of have to with population. I mean, I, I consider like we're way overrepresented here in St. John's as far as the arts community in Newfoundland. But, you know, it's, it's not the epicenter. We're, we're overrepresented and that's great. And, and I think maybe in. You know, of, of the towns that are three cities that are 300,000 less or, or you know we're probably leading the charge or up there but you know Toronto A's got the population it's got it's just like hockey you know most players come from there I can think of Edmonton if I drive around Edmonton and and, and you know talk to people and, and just take it in for a month or two it seems that it's more centered around hockey basically because they don't have a basketball team there's a few other things that, and Leafs fans are, are, are just you know some of the wildest and most abundant in the world um, I just mean when it when it comes to Toronto it's so diverse in so many different areas that I don't think of it as one particular thing but the arts community obviously is thriving in most of the bands and big TV shows and you know no you know, Vancouver and Montreal and Winnipeg and Edmonton and Calgary and, and, and no slight to any of those cities in Halifax. We're diverse in Canada. We are. But uh, when it comes to the arts community, especially music, I think Toronto and I, I enjoy the downtown scene. So anyway, I guess they could have it there a lot. But when they did, there wasn't as many artists traveling. Right. They were at home coming into. So so this was a big road trip here and a lot of them were looking forward to it. Now, I didn't realize now as a hockey player. Uh, that what I would do is what we would do. You know, you go on the road. If we had any day off or days off or whatever, we'd probably go out for a meal. But outside of that, if we didn't say or we came back early, I, I'd get ice, put it in the tub, put some beers in there. Even now on ball hockey road trips and stuff. I mean, that's what we do, right? Fill the tub with ice, put the beers in there and then hang out. So I call my buddy Dave Pops Howell, a local legend, Pops Howell. And I, I'm, I'm, I overuse the word legend. I think we all do nowadays. But he, this guy is a local legend in, in more ways than one. 
uh, and just a generous person and, and he's got a unique story. And anyway, Pops had just uh, bought Kane's Convenience downtown, probably the oldest, one of the most successful convenience stores in Newfoundland. Uh, he didn't start it. He just merely took it over around that time. So we were just, and it was right next to the Sheridan Hotel, the old Newfoundland Hotel. So after the game, which took place at Jack Byrne Arena, just, I don't even remember who won or lost. I was just in awe meeting these people. And um, I, I remember uh, just heading down there with Jim. And it was great because I was in the car with him. We got to, and, you know, he was asking me, Jim reminds me of um, Gord Downing in a lot of ways. You know, he, he was asking me, he'll probably do it when we talk in a podcast. He'll turn it around on my book or something. But like, I remember getting down there going, geez, I just talked to Jim Cuddy for a half hour. And, all I talked about was myself, which says a lot about me, too. But I did want to know some stuff. And, and you can't just jump right into, like, why did you write uh, rose-colored glasses? When did you meet Greg? Uh, you know, I, I didn't want to get into all that stuff. So Till I Am Myself Again is my favorite. And I, that's what I wanted to ask him. I remember, like, what's that song about? I can kind of tell, but tell me exactly what it's about. Spec specify. I wanted him... Yeah, I wanted to have that intimate conversation. So anyway, and he was just like shooting the shit and I kind of wanted anyway, anyway. So we got to the Sheridan and I called Pops and all their rooms were kind of they were they were on the top three floors, I think. But the, 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 there was like four or five right at the end of the hall that some of the bands had. And we just happened to we being Jim, I nothing to do with it. And the other guys, I believe, from Blue Rodeo and the Jim Cuddy band and a, a healthy mix of both, as I remember it. Um, when we, we, so we opened up both rooms that kind of adjoined and we put beers in both, uh, bathtubs and, and ice and all that. And I remember getting looped. I had an exam the next day, so I wasn't graduated from university. Um, and I remember having an exam, but I had a 75 average and I remember thinking, you know, what's the worst that can happen? I can fail this, I guess, and go down to get a C or C plus. I know 75 plus was, I think it was like a B plus or something like that whatever it works 75 seven i wanted a good i wanted to be on the honor roll which i ended up doing by the way but not through this fucking exam i um we got looped anyway all night i was in there's a picture in my first book of, of, of a little bit of it but i went down to my bikini brief boxers and i had my snakeskin cowboy boots on i wrapped my all my clothes up and people were like some people were loving it some people were hating it jim was laughing i could I, I, I was singing Blue Rodeo songs on the bed in my snakeskin boots. It's singing is a really awful way to put it. I think I was asking Jim and I was singing whatever songs. I think I sang Johnny Be Good or some shit to a bunch of musicians. I mean, what a what a fool. Anyway, people are just loving the good time. So then it was like four in the morning and I took my clothes and balled them up and like threw them down the fire escape. So a point that i wasn't going to put them back on or something so anyway we were looped loop looped as i said so then i called i'm not going to say who i phoned but i phoned somebody that got us into a place downtown i won't say where but anyway troy crowder i remember came with me a real real tough guy a couple of his fights um uh, against probert or legendary like just just a very very tough player for the era troy crowder google that um or youtube that check 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 out his fights Anyway, we went down, man. We went down and but this was after hours. Like we didn't leave the hotel till the bars were closed and they close at three here. So I, I don't even remember Jim coming. I, I just 
it was a blur. So we went down and, you know, obviously, I mean, I'm, I must have looked like such an obnoxious, a not obnoxious jackass. Um, it, but anyway, it was a lot of fun. But I, I, I went home. I couldn't believe in the morning I had an exam. It was like 830. And I remember just going straight to it. I went in and I guessed, I guessed, I guessed, I guessed. I, I had to leave two or three times to throw up. And I, I don't know, my average came out to be in that course 69. So I, I figure we did the math. I must have got like 8%. I got less than 10% on it. Anyway, it was a fucking great time. And then Jim sent me uh, did one of the best albums by Blue Rodeo and the most iconic in Canadian history, I would think, is Outskirts. And he sent it signed by the band. So I sent him a signed jersey and we've been buddies since now. There he is texting me. Okay. Ladies and gents, you are about to be entertained by Jim Cuddy. Okay. Two shakes of a lamb's tail. I'm back. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, my next guest has been in bands like the Hi-Fi's Blue Rodeo and the Jim Cuddy Band. And has starred at right wing for the Republic of Doyle Danglers at the Exclaim Cup Summit of Arts Hockey Exchange. He is a sensational songwriter, a magnificent musician, a dynamite dad, a scintillating singer, a happy Hall of Famer, an interesting icon, a charismatic Canadian. He can fly down the wing like he plays a six string. As a Leafs fan, his feelings often get hurt, but he does have some really cool-looking shirts. With Towtons, he likes molasses as he peers through rose-colored glasses. We got really banged up when we, hanged out, when we hung out at the Juno Cup. I played left side, he played right, and after the game, we partied all night. His wife's an actress that played many roles. This Torontonian has a skyscraper's soul. He golfs way over par, but does play great guitar. He likes his steak <laughs> medium rare and still has a full head of hair. It didn't quite go as planned that night at the Junos when they played with the band. He's a good-looking cat, a real good buddy. Ladies and gents, please welcome James Gordon Cuddy. Jim, how are you? Nicely done. I'm good. I'm good. Nice Thank, to be here. Thanks a lot, by the way, for uh, mentioning us Newfoundlanders and my book the other day in your uh, in your concert, I guess you could say. Yeah, well, it was. A, it seemed like uh, you guys had gotten hit very dramatically and suddenly and thrown back into full lockdown, which, you know, we know what it's like because we're still in lockdown in Toronto. It's terrible. We... Yeah, I honestly, this is it's kind of hitting home now for us. I mean, we can see it. We, I'm, I'm not saying we're not empathetic to the struggles that went on. And we did have an outbreak in, in April. I think it was last April, 44 in a funeral home. Outside of that, Jim, we went months without a case. We were being precautionary. But, you know, now there is a few clusters broke out. And yeah. just to see, I mean, for someone like you, I remember if there's one theme that I know keeps coming up. You remind me of Gord Downey this way. It's it's the love of travel and the road and Canadian and all that. And all that, you know, there's so much that falls under that umbrella. I've been playing in the energy and the crowd and traveling and taking it all in and having another song to write about because of that experience. So what has this meant for you? Well, it's been, I mean, it's sort of a double-edged sword. First of all, it's it's interesting to stay in one place for a whole year. And uh, um see the seasons change, try to imagine my life without so much travel. Um, it's been very fertile for me for writing songs. I'm very 
the, the thing you need with songs is although sometimes they come quickly, you need time with them to let them um, mature. And, and this time I've had all the time I want to. Uh, all the to, time. It was one of the ones. <laughs> I mean, there. I mean, that comes out 20 years ago. You have it again. You, you, had, you literally had all the time to work on that. Sorry. I had to pipe in there. I know. I know. So, you know, it's been, it's been, so the songs that I've written are, are you know, more carefully crafted and, and, and it's been good. But the other side of the coin is that it's very weird to not have this, uh, the flow of lifeblood, which is traveling and playing and meeting up with all the people that I meet up with and, and my, and my travels. And, and I think that I think what's happening now in my life is that it's starting to affect people. I mean, it's been a year. It will almost be a year by the middle of March. It'll be a full year of lockdown. And it's starting to hit people that are musicians because for the longest time we did a lot of stuff and, you know, everybody's happy to have the break. And now there's a lot of depression out there and there's a lot of, I don't know, there's a lot of surprise anger because people are dealing with stress. So it's, it's tougher now for sure. Speaking of, of all that, um, I noticed, uh, was it uh, Country, two, two albums ago, there's Constellation, Country, what's the new one called? Countrywide Soul. Countrywide Soul. So there's yeah. a couple on Countrywide Soul, All the Time is One. You just kind of rearranged. Was, was that planned or was that isolation yeah. idea? No, 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 no. That was all done before. No, nothing. The only thing that has come out from isolation is uh, a song I had out there called Good News. Good News. And uh, other than that, there's all done before. In fact, that Countrywide Soul was done here at, well, no, I'm not here, at our farm that's that's north of the city. It was done in our barn. So Actually, yeah, that, that came was, out before it. That came out right yeah, before it, didn't it? Yeah, and, and that was what we were touring. Like, we toured last year, November, December, January, and then Blue Roadie did a little February tour, and then it all, then everything shut down. So I had just finished touring for that record. I mean, but I did know. It's just the feeling I get. It's the feeling I get from it, Jim. It's the feeling I get when I listen to Countrywide Soul. And I'm saying this not as like a reviewer, as your buddy. Like I, I just listened to it. Um, those songs, there's all the time. And there's another that you've done. You've clearly done before and you reworked or you, you made them. You, yeah. You, you, well, there was Dragon On. And that yes. was a Blue Audio song. All in Time was my song from my first record. Wash Me Down. And I tried to do them differently. I tried to, well, you know, I tried to give them more of a countrified feel. I mean, what we did was set up in the top of the barn and just play. And so I tried to figure out, I wanted to do the recording as much as I wanted new songs. I had two new songs, Glorious Day and uh, Back Here Again. And then I tried to figure out songs that would um, would change with a different, different application. And uh, so those were those were two... I, it's always hard for me to remember what was on the record, but, but all in time was the most radical change because it was a rock song before and it became a folk song. Afterwards. Yeah. I noticed that right away. Um, and to back to back, are you always writing? Well, I guess so, because, you know, I think that that's, that's how I look. I know I have a lot of stuff in my life and I'm not trying to devalue that, but my personal value, I think comes a lot from writing songs that if I had not written songs over this year, I would feel like a, you know, bag of hammers. I would, I'd feel ridiculous. I feel like I had wasted my time. So that gives me self-confidence and value. Well, and, and, and having known you and, you know, we, we keep in decent touch. So in, in 2015, 16, 17, I know you to be busy. You were, you, you were here every year touring uh, in the spring. We usually hook up. You're always busy. 
yet you find time to write uh, because you know those albums Constellation uh, Constellation and Countrywide Soul came out back just back to back years and now you're still at it so it must be a huge part of your thing is is it a nightly thing is it OCD no. does Jim Cuddy get up every morning at <laughs> seven with a coffee and write or is no. it it's purely no, inspiration. No, I, You're inspired that much? No, no, wow. no. It's not, it's neither of those things. It, it, it's it. I treat it as a as a as an occupation. I I, I allow time for writing. So, um, prior to recording Constellation, I took two months to write, and um, and then prior to to uh, Countrywide Soul, you know, it's usually there's there's a heavy touring schedule and there's time off, and I'll and I'll write in that time. And once I get started then I can carry those with me. But I need time to stop, be at the farm, be in the studio and just concentrate on the songs. Now this year is even weirder because everything's gonna come together. Like I have solo stuff, I have Blue Rodeo stuff, Greg has a solo record coming out, plus he's writing for Blue Rodeo. So, they, so all these things are gonna come together and that's never happened before. So I think that it's using the time well Songs have to be started in isolation. I can't, I can't do it with people around and I can't do it on the road particularly. Now, speaking of Greg, then, did you have a time like that? Did you guys treat it as an occupation? Would you put some time away? You know, because I mean, those who don't know, I'm sure most people listen to this particular interview do. You know, yourself and Greg Keeler are, are a great songwriting duo, one of the best in Canadian history. Do you guys, would it be an inspirational thing there or is exactly what you just told me, same sort of thing? Well, yeah, I, I think that I think Greg is much more. Uh, he goes by the clock of inspiration more than I do. I, 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 I think that I developed a habit years and years and years ago to sit down and write. So if I have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday that I have free, I will take two or three hours each day and I will write. And once I get something started, I can keep going. Greg is more, you know, he could write for. 15 hours and then go and record and, and, and then he might not write for two months. So he's a little bit different, but we live, you know, we don't have this. We don't do this thing anymore that we did at the beginning. At the beginning, we lived together. We worked together. We were in bands together. So we were always showing yeah. each other pieces of our songs and, and uh, commenting on each other's songs and then putting it to a band and, and, you know, sculpting it into a performable song. Um, for years, we've, we've written separately and then and purposefully. Like Greg, I know, wrote a solo record, and that's a really good record. It's going to come out in April. And then he started writing for Blue Rodeo. And there's a difference. I mean, maybe it's difficult for us to describe, but there's a difference. And those songs will have a purpose. And even these ones will be done in, in such an odd way because we're not really able to get together. So he's doing pieces with other people and sending them to us, and, and we'll do it here. So this is a little bit of new territory, but I know going back to the question, we don't actually inspire each other when we're sitting together. That's long over what we, you know, we inspire each other by inspiring the band. Um, oh, great answer. Um, Wash me down and lost together. Wash me down. You often close with, with the Jim Cuddy band and lost together. N not only, and I believe you just did on, then on the great Canadian cbc show whatever it was those songs clearly that are great for that purpose for for encores or for for getting everybody together getting everybody singing at the end and a real intimate feeling togetherness with the audience were those specific songs i'm saying now written for that reason they work so well 
Yeah, no. No, in fact, I think that the, that's one thing that has been a, a benefit to us is that we've never been able to write singles, write things for opening so concerts, write things for closing concerts. We've written songs and it has been apparent to us what they should be for. But I can still remember when Greg was writing Lost Together, it was a little bit outside of what we had been doing. And so, you know, we, we made a little fun of him because it was so sentimental. <laughs> and we weren't really a very sentimental band then. And, uh, you know, we did these little blasts together. I don't know. We did these little foolish, sarcastic dances. And, of course, then when we recorded the song, we understood so much more of its power. And, and, and then it fit into its place. So, and with Wash Me Down, I really wanted to write a song that could uh, hold a lot of voices. And I knew when I was going to go on tour, I wanted to go on tour with, as many friends as possible. I wanted my sons to be there. I wanted Barney Bentall to be there. I, you know, I wanted to, and I wanted a song that we could all sing. Naturally, I think that goes at the end of the night. Ah, oh, beauty. Oh, they work so well. Um, Skyscraper's Soul, another a great album of yours. Uh, probably gets the most play in my house. Um, explain, I guess, the inspiration for that. Are, are you... You're, you're, you're proud of Toronto, right? I, I, <laughs> you're leading me into this, Terry, and I, I appreciate your hesitancy. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, you know where I'm going, so you finish. Of course. So, look, uh, I am born in Toronto, but I didn't live in Toronto until I was a teenager. I, I was some, well, until I was, no, 12. Anyway, my parents were living in St. Louis, but my mother didn't know anybody, and my dad was on the road doing his job. So she came to Toronto to stay with my aunt and uncle and had me in Toronto. So I didn't live in Toronto when I was young. I lived in Brantford, I lived in Montreal, I lived in Ottawa, I lived in a lot of places. So I had this thing about Toronto and I had this thing about the Toronto Maple Leafs. From the moment I could watch hockey, you know, George Armstrong and Dave Keon and Carl Brewer and all those guys. And I would watch them from wherever I lived. And that was especially difficult for the three years I lived in Montreal. Cause I like the Canadians too. I mean, if you live in Montreal, uh, and no disrespect to you and your history with the, the, the past. No. But I just, I thought you could love, love both. Well, that's not possible in Montreal. So when my dad finally came home one summer and said, we're moving to Toronto, I just couldn't believe my luck. I just couldn't believe my luck. So I moved to Toronto, teenager, lived here, went to school, blah, blah, blah. Then as I started to travel around the country doing my job, I realized people hate Toronto. I mean, they irrationally and passionately hate Toronto. Um, and so that became kind of funny for me. I thought, you know, half the people I asked, you hate Toronto. Have you ever been there? No, but I've heard. My cousin says, you know, I had a friend and I thought, you, you have no idea. And I, and I understand also people have big city fear. You know, I, my, all I my relatives are from Prince Edward County and it's, it was tough for them when they were young coming to the city. It's not friendly. It's confusing. It's huge. So Skyscraper Soul was my way of saying, look, it, it's my it was my in praise of Toronto. You know, looks can be deceiving. This is there's a heart beating in this city. So, you know, I have friends that move here. I have a, a friend that came to go to naturopath school from Edmonton. I said, look, don't expect everybody to say hello to you. You know, it's not it's there's five million people here. It's not like where you come from. And people are not going to say hello to you. And they're going to step around you if you stop. But ultimately, you'll find your niche. And you'll find also this 
this treasure chest of, of, of goods, of, of different stores and activities and beauty. And so there's a lot here. In a regular year. As you year, well know. As a, I love it, Jim. I, I find for a city that that's big, that's, that's so big, I think it's third or fourth in North America. I don't think people realize how big it is. But yeah. when you're there, it's a small little, you know, sm- I'm involved in the sports slash art community. And I, I, you know, I find I run into the same people, not through the same people. I, I just no, end I up, you know, what I mean, yeah. it's, it's wild. And, um, and, and I find it really unique. It's vibrant. And I can't think of one thing I was saying in the preamble that, that really defines it. It's just got so much of so, you know, the, the Toronto Maple Leafs, could be the epicenter of hockey yet yet you know if you're in edmonton and you're driving around I mean the oilers is all you hear you don't hear raptors you don't hear anything we're in toronto there's so many other things yeah, if you're yeah. into one yeah. of them there's distractions yeah. but it's just yeah. and i love it it's a community that everybody seems to know that and and and, and at least those you know they embrace it and, and i like it and sure. to me it's sure. a there's a small town in each little borough well, um, I think that that's it. You see, Toronto is Toronto is a mosaic of neighborhoods. So it's all these neighborhoods put together. It's two rivers that are running from the lake. So it's actually kind of um, surrounded by by nature, big parks, and you know, yeah, there's way more Toronto, trees in Toronto than people think. Go, sorry to oh, say. for sure. I mean, and also we have you know we have two rivers running right up to the four hundred one. Mm. But when you come to Toronto, you probably hang out in in neighborhoods that suit your interests. And therefore, you are going to run into the same people because mm. you're walking around Queen Street West or you're walking around the Danforth or blah, blah, blah. Now the city goes up to the north and Eglinton and all that kind of stuff, which I don't know that much about. But but it's a, it's like I said, it's this this pastiche of of smaller neighborhoods. Mm. Uh, Jim and, and sticking on constellations for a sec uh, or actually countrywide soul. I wanted to know why I almost persuaded and why rhinestone cowboy George Jones song and a Glenn Campbell song. Right. Uh, well, first of all, I would say that way back when we started Blue Rodeo, and I started to get my country education from Basel and from all the local scene, um, I started to really admire some of the singers. And George Jones is a singer that I really admire. And anybody that's seen the tales from the tour bus, you, you got to admire the, the, the tales of George Jones. I mean, it's just absolutely crazy life, crazy <laughs> life. Um, but just a great, great, great voice. And, I, and way back when there was a woman named Mimi, she used to run a little canteen in the Horseshoe Tavern. And she said, you got to do Good Year for the Roses. Well, I never heard a Good Year for the Roses, but I learned it and I would do it faithfully and I loved it. And uh, so I kind of have done that one and then Almost Persuaded was, was one I've done for the last few, few years. And I just thought it's a great song, the great cautionary tra- tale and good for a married guy to do. And then the rhinestone cowboy, you know, um, again, uh, we used to do um, Galveston. We used to do this rocked up version of Galveston. So I really got into uh, Glenn Campbell and and his output. And, um, you know, he's this beautiful guitar player. And then he becomes a big star. And and, uh, if you know his his output, you know, he's got six or seven absolutely classic bona fide hits. You know, Wichita Lineman by the time I get to Phoenix etc. Rhinestone Cowboy is, I saw George uh, Canyon do it once. And I thought, that's a perfect little song. That's three minutes of perfection. It, um, it, has, it has a great story. It, it's sad. And yet it's kind of triumphant. It's got 
amazing it's chord triumphant. structure. Yeah. I'm telling you, you know, yeah. and also, you, you know, you're an amateur guitar player, and I've had this experience now that I know the song. Somebody will be playing this this song, and I think those are not the chords. That's <laughs> those are the simplified chords, but that's no, those are not the right chords. This is a way more deceptively complicated song than you think. So anyway, I just love the song, and and it seems I love looking out at the audience because people know the words and they don't know why they know the words. Interesting. It is triumphant. That's a great way to put it. Uh, I, I love the song, too. It, was, it jumped out at me. It, it didn't seem like something that I was going to see on a Jim Cuddy album. Oh, I know. It just didn't seem like it, but it makes sense. Um, and so when you were younger, who is your favorite Leaf? I keep forgetting to ask you well, that. I'm Dave assuming Keon. Dave Keon. Okay. Yeah, I've Dave heard you talk Keon. about him. I didn't know and, if he was your favorite. I know. No, he was my favorite Leaf. I don't know. But, I, but you got to understand. When we lived in Montreal, we would go to the Sheridan Mount Royal when when the other teams were there. And there were all the hockey players, right? And you yeah. know what they all looked like in the 60s. They were all short, wide, gigantic hands. Like gigantic. I, 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 can't, I can't believe that you just brought that up. I often say it to people. Because Bobby Hull has been around me and my buddies and Yvonne Cormoyer, Steve Shutt. And I, I often say to them, I'm like... Do you guys realize there's a common theme of huge hands on these people? Oh, it's You're ridiculous. the first person I've ever heard just bring that oh, up. Oh, no, they were. Listen, I think that I think you could do one of those evolutionary <laughs> charts. With the, bodies, the bodies of the 50s and 60s going in the 70s. And then Mario changed it all of a sudden. Tall, big, big, yeah. tall guys, you know, and then cut guys. But this was so amazing. We'd be in the lobby and they'd all be there. And you know what it also looks like when these very muscular fire plug looking guys wear suits they look funny you know they don't look like the businessmen that are in the lounge yeah you they can look, spot it a mile they away. look awkward and they, they look itchy you know <laughs> and we'd all get their autographs and we'd just be looking at their hands i mean i think my i'd have been eight my brother had been 10 and we're holding up our little our little autograph books so because of that you know when i'd see those leaves it didn't matter it like I think that the sheriff, a hockey card, a cup or a little disc I got most was Larry Hillman. I mean, you know, it wasn't the most popular leaf, but I just learned to love Larry Hillman because I have the from the sheriff puddings, you know, the little, <laughs> little discs. <laughs> Larry Hillman. Oh, my God. That's fantastic. Um, I got a question about writing, Jim. Um, and uh, I'm listening to Astral Weeks now. So it's my favorite Jim uh, Van Morrison album. And I think it's my favorite because a lot of Van Morrison's overplayed and these songs aren't, at least not around me. As I'm listening to it, I, I, about a month and a half ago, I'm doing the research and I find out, and I don't know whether to love or hate this or what to think of it. It, it, it. I'm impartial, but I was surprised that he just hired these musicians, cause, you know, because it's a folky, jazzy, Irish kind of for its time, I don't know, you lived it, I didn't, but it doesn't seem to sound like anything at that time that I'm listening to, at least I've been introduced to in the late 60s, and there was a lot going on. This still sounds unique. And I was, in, I was, I was surprised because most of the musicians said, actually, he just came in and kind of said, do your thing. So when I'm hearing um, the violin, say, on Constellations, say, on the song on the album, are you writing that, or do you... Do you do you musicians do that? I don't want to say for you. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I, that's okay. I, I would say that 90% of the time, the musicians are asked to create their own parts. Now there's, there are boundaries, like when the song, when I bring a song in, it's pretty finished and I understand 
what I'd like to hear, but I don't write those parts. Now there's sometimes when I might sing a part and ask Anne to play this line, um, but generally Anne, Anne will create a part, play it for me. Maybe I have some suggestions as to how I want it to go, or maybe I want it less ornate or, or more ornate. Interesting. Colin, Colin is the same. Colin Cripps, guitar player yeah. in both Blue Rodeo, my band. He comes up with parts so fast. I mean, that that is a real gift. And uh, most of the time I had I imagine what he's going to do and I just let him do it. And I think that my function is more approval than it is creating other parts for people. Interesting. And I guess that changes with each artist. I, I, I don't know why I assumed one thing or the other, but yeah, I, I guess that makes sense. It's a back and forth. You're both creative. Uh, you've come up with an idea, of course. Um, so everyone watched the wedding. Now, my feeling, I think royalty, I don't see the need for it anymore. I definitely don't have the respect that you do for it. I find it outdated, dated, uh, maybe, what's the word, pretentious, maybe unnecessary. But I'm not, I, I, it's just my feeling of royalty. And I guess I'm talking about English royalty. I don't really know much other, many other royals all over the world. But that type of noble that doesn't really serve a purpose, I find yeah, unnecessary. But you seem to have a big respect. Where does that come from? And I'm talking about your song, Everything, Everybody Watch the Wedding. Uh, from I think that's on Skyscraper Soul, no? Yeah. So why why do you uh, interpret that I have a great respect for the monarchy? Because the song seemed to portray that. Everyone well, I, watched I, it. I, what, I, what I hope that the song portrayed was the enormous gulf between what the monarchy was and visually what they represented. And okay. the person, you know, the, the guy says, uh, uh, one day I'm back on the bus, you know, like these factories are us. And, uh, um, and I think that the reason I wrote the song, well, the reason I wrote the song is because I was so surprised that, I don't know, a billion people were going to watch that wedding. I, I, I've never really formed an opinion about the monarchy. I, I don't, I'm, it wasn't a put down one way or the other. No, 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 no. I'm not. No, no, I'm not. I was I'm curious. Not, you know, not, hold on. I'm not. I'm not in any way um, okay. re responding to that. I'm just saying that that what I tried to show in the song was that if there was a reason that people were watching the wedding, it was because they found those idealized, protected lives to be something that for a day or two or now and again lifted them out of their own misery. And nice. that there was something uplifting about seeing the royals. And, and, you know, the deal that you sort of have with royals is that we will give you all our admiration, but you have to be, you have to, you, know, you have a code of conduct that's so restrictive. It's <laughs> beyond belief. You know, you can't do anything. And, but, and, and that's our deal. We'll give you this, this very pampered exclusive life, but it's going to be shitty. And, and we'll, will admire you and not try to get rid of you. Um, I have, uh, like I said, I, I, the reason I wrote it was because so many people were watching the wedding and I thought it was amazing. And then, and then I just liked all the aspects of it, but I watched it as a spectacle, not as somebody that has one opinion about the uh, monarchy or the, or another. And yet when I watched the crown, which I've now watched all the way through, I see 
okay, there was a time when there was a function, they, 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 they performed a function and that was somehow to bond the people and, and lift them up. And I, you know, I could hear a royalist or anti-royalists go on and, and say, this is useless. And I think, okay, fine. They could just go on, go back to being an incredibly rich family. If that's what you want. I mean, if you I find want it fascinating. More, it's fascinating you know, if nothing else. It really is. Yeah. And I know part of my resentment is probably just jealousy, but, but um, I find it because my, my mother say like mom, my mom was right into it. Right. And mom's right into mom goes to church on Tuesdays and not that religion is bad or anything, but my views on religion, I'm spiritual in, Definitely not going by the Catholic book, though. <laughs> and uh, when it comes to the royals, I don't know. Like, both give her so much joy that I, you know, other than having resentment just towards those particular royals, because they get it. You know, it does serve a purpose in a lot. Function was the right word. I don't see a function, but, you know. Yeah. No, I, I don't. I don't. I, you know, and listen, you used you quoted God a lot in your history. So, so <laughs> you know, you. You, you are just like your mom. And my mother is a royalist. My mother is a royalist. She, she, does, not, she does not like to hear disparaging words about the queen. She's almost exactly the same age as, as the queen. She doesn't want to hear anything disparaging about it. And for her, of course, it's nostalgic. It's about how she grew up, what that meant to her when she was a kid, when we were all singing God Save the Queen. You know, I mean, it's, it's certainly gone beyond its, its usefulness, but I'm... I don't, like I said, I'm a Canadian kid from Toronto. I don't have any opinion on it. You want I'm, start, I'm starting to be impartial, which is an improvement. Your mom, uh, how old is she now? She's 94. She's, she's turning 95 this year. So, Jim, I saw her yeah. last when she was 90 then, and she was vibrant and seemed yeah. to be sharp as a tack. How's she doing now? She's doing great. She's doing great. She's, she's managing this, this well. She misses her social life. And, uh, but she just, I love that. A 94 year old is her social life. Very, she's very disciplined. She does exercise every day. I, you know, whenever I've had a chance to take her up to the farm, she just, you just see her come alive. Like she, she needs, she's a bit like a caged animal or maybe a bird in a gilded cage right now. So, but she tries, she gets out, she does everything she can. And, you know, we talk to her all the time. So give her all, uh, all my best. Oh, well. Jim, a lot of songs that you write are about love and relationships. Um, is there a reason that this is a huge inspiration? Um, let's say you be the lever. I love that title, by the way. I love that wordplay. You be the lever. Does that just come from nothing? No, I don't think anything comes from nothing. I think all the songs come from some personal relationship to that event, whether it is. I think that it's easy to frame things as a romantic relationship. They're not always romantic relationships, but certainly as you go along and you, you, you know, you work in an intense business and in an intense world, you have a lot of relationships, some successes, some failures, and they, they always work their way into songs. So it's like I said, it's easy to frame it as a really as a romantic relationship, but it's not always a romantic relationship. I think more 10 years ago, I used to write a lot more from observation. And I think in the last 10 years, I've written a lot more from personal experience. Hmm. Interesting. Is there a reason for that? I think as I get older, things hit me harder. I think I, 
you know how you, we all have this thing in our brain that is able to shut out distracting noises so we can, so we can focus on what, what we want walking or listening to conversation. I think that starts to fade. And now all of a sudden things that happen in my life are so much more impactful. You know, I mean, I have grown up kids. I could make myself cry just thinking about them. You know, it, it's ridiculous. I did not feel this way 10 years ago. I've always loved my kids and I've always loved my wife and I've loved my life. But I think that in the last 10 years, I just lost a layer of protection and, and things just hit me harder. Interesting. Um, who does the album covers? Your personal ones? Uh, well, I, I guess that, that's a kind of a personal question. You know, no, but, no, no, no. You know, no. I, I really like, I, I find Constellation, for example. Um, I heard you telling a story. Oh, it was at your concert the other night. I didn't know your buddy, Rob. I don't know who you're talking about. It's a personal oh, yeah. question. Nothing to me. But you told me, you, you, maybe you can tell this story, but you said about going up and looking at and you couldn't find the Big Dipper. And I, I noticed <laughs> on the front is the Big Dipper. I, I turned up the album. I'm like, that's the Big Dipper. <laughs> I know. I know. So the covers, most of the covers that I've had have come from uh, Sally Davies, who's a friend of mine from, from Winnipeg, but she's in New York. And she's an artist. She was a painter who turned into a photographer. So that is her, uh, and she's really, she can be very, uh, well, anyway, asking her to put the Big Dipper in that picture was, I had to deliberate for 24 hours before I had the nerve to say, could you possibly put this in your phone? And she said, sure, no problem. So that story is a friend of mine, Rob Gray, who, had cancer and it, it was obviously going to take him uh in the fall we went up to the farm and we, we had he, he invited a couple of his friends and they're in the movie biz and i think it's important and you should appreciate this too they were two directors and rob was a production designer and these guys like i i'm i operate in the music world and people can drink and they can do drugs i mean got pretty high tolerance these guys well, my friend Rob, I don't know that there was any stopping for him. I mean, he could drink forever. He was a, you know, kind of a cannon shaped guy. Anyway, we had this amazing meal and we had a great time. And we, it was always very tinged with sadness because we knew this could be the last time we all got together. So then, like I said, we got all modeling and we, we decided that we'd go outside and we'd name a star after Rob. And because we'd been drinking so much, we'd make it easy. We'd make it a one in the handle of the Big Dipper. And when we went out, it was a night full of stars. And we honestly, we couldn't distinguish the Big Dipper from the rest of the constellations. And, you know, so that was four years ago. And every time I'm at the farm and I look out, I can see the Big Dipper right away, right away. <laughs> That's funny. It's just like a slap in the face. There's wow. four guys so drunk and we're laughing and crying and we're taking pictures. And that was truly, I mean, it's, it's the best way to remember somebody you know, to get too wrapped up in just the full sadness of losing somebody. I think that would have been too much. I think having it be a humorous um, event yeah. is better. It's a better memory. Well, it's certainly a better story. And I was, that, that's probably some of, you know, what you're talking about, the evolution of the last 10 years. Sure. Right? Oh, absolutely. Maybe, maybe oh, it would absolutely. have felt different when you were 20, even. I mean, maybe that's not 10 right. years. That could be 30. You just don't lose people like that. You know, I mean, everybody seems immortal in those days. You don't have, you don't have the same reason to be, be fearful. Um, what's, what do you think is the key 
to your personal longevity. And I mean this in a physical way as well. Um, you know, you wouldn't be able to keep writing songs for Blue Rodeo or the Jim Cuddy Band or whoever it might be. And there's a lot of other things you got on the go. Music Counts, is it? Is that the charity at the Juno Cup? And, you know, you got your wine going on. You can mention that if you want. Uh, you know, so there must be something. Is it how, how would an omelet change? If you were to order an omelet right now, as opposed to 1985, what would be the differences in there? In other words, is it a nutritious thing or is it just a driven thing? <laughs> well, yeah, the first big thing is I, I don't I don't eat eggs. So okay, I, okay. That would, so that would it would be an, an eggless omelet. Um, I think that there's a lot of things that that have have contributed to longevity. First of all, it's easier to be it's easier to stick with something you love doing. True. You know, I mean. I also, you know, I was in the movie biz for a while and did set dressing, which you, you're acquainted with. And I loved it too, but it was difficult. It was, you know, it would have been exhausting. And I mean, maybe I would have moved up the chain or something, but to do something you love. And, and also, I think from the very beginning, Blue Rodeo took its responsibility as performers and songwriters extremely seriously. We do not allow ourselves to get frayed at the edges if we can help it. Um, in terms of physical stuff, I mean, I, I you know, I have, have found a lot of joy in, in all the physical things I'm doing. And it, it, that includes singing. I mean, singing is a muscle. It requires muscles and you've got to sing. Uh -huh. You have to keep singing. When I listened to Paul McCartney, I realized the reason that guy has a voice at 80 years old is because he's never stopped singing. Interesting. And if, you know, if I, if I hear about somebody I know that is maybe taking a hiatus for a year or two and I hear them come back and I think you've got a ways to go. You know, there is there is a, a, a well-practiced voice and then there's a recently back at it voice. But I think all those things combine, you know, you you have to choose people around you. Well, I mean, that's that's been a huge part of what's what's happened now is that is the people that I work with, people upstairs, the people that people I play music with, people that are technicians. You got to like everybody, you got to you got to appreciate their skill, give them freedom. So, I mean, I think it's a, a numerous things. And then isn't some of it just luck? I mean, you know, to not get cancer, isn't that yeah. just luck? I don't know. Yeah, I guess, it, I guess some would have to be luck. Yeah. And you got great genetics too. Your mom's still hop, rocking and rolling in her mid nineties. <laughs> this is her social life, man. I hope that's my problem. But I'm 95, 94. That's wild. The biggest problem my mom has is with her stereo. So she keeps saying, you have to come over. There's something wrong with the volume and I'll go over and there's something stuck on the volume. So it either goes quiet or blasting loud. And she says, I can listen to it loud, but it's a little irritating. <laughs> <laughs> I can see her saying that. He loves her music. It's wild. Um, put these Johnnies, put your, these Johnnies in order. These musical Johnnies in order. Your personal favorites. Johnny Cash, Johnny Horton. Johnny Mathis, Johnny Rivers, and Johnny B. Good from the song Johnny B. Good. <laughs> Johnny Cash, Johnny Rivers. Uh, and then the other three would sort of be all, all together. Johnny Horton, Johnny, Johnny Mathis. And Johnny B. Good is a fictional know, character, I suppose. So This is sort of amazing for me because when I come of age, it's Beatles. It's Beatles and Rolling Stones. And if they endorse the song, I endorse the song, you know? <laughs> so they didn't do Johnny B. Good. So I've never had quite the same feeling about Johnny B. Good as, <laughs> as you know. As Roll Over Beethoven? 
it just, it's, it, it, yeah, like for sure. Um, okay. I'm going to give you some word association. If you don't mind, I'm going to give you uh, a word or a group of words. And you tell me the first thing that pops into your head. Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, Austin Matthews. Toronto Raptors. Kyle Lowry. The planet Neptune. <laughs> Pluto. <laughs> Minnesota. Oh, man. Billy Ellis. I got a good friend there. Okay, this is a funny story. Billy Ellis. New, Long Island. Uh, Democrat. Like, big mouth. Irish background. Marries a girl, Amy. Moves back to Minnesota, where she's from. Surrounded now by Republicans. And surrounded by full-on Trump-supporting Republicans. Okay. Every so often I call Because there's one and then there's the other. Yeah, okay. Oh, there's, yeah. Now these are full-on, you know, yeah. the election was stolen. And he is truly like uh, uh, a Yankee in King Arthur's court. He is just a piece <laughs> of water. You know, it's it's hilarious. I talked to him. He, oh, my God. I don't know how much longer I can stand this. And he's, of course, he's, he stood it for 25 years. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Oh, Billy Ellis. That's Minnesota. Uh, Pinocchio. Oh, Walt Disney. Newfoundland. Terry Ryan. The Jayhawks. Ah, I love those guys. I love those guys. You know, I saw um, them a few years ago. Jim, do you remember we were when we played the Summit of Arts? Those that don't know, it's a tournament in April for the arts community that happens in Toronto. Rec hockey tournament. It's awesome. There's a championship, but there's also like uh, awards for no least penalty minutes. And it's co-ed. And it's just this awesome time that everybody gets together and you play music at night sort of thing. Um, but where was I going with that? Where did I start? Jayhawks. Jayhawks. Oh, so we were talking. I said I asked you because I really like the Jayhawks. And for years, I just never brought it up. And I mean, you can tell that. I mean, you must. I figured Jim must have heard of them. Their music's similar. Right. So and I mean, just, you know, melodic. The melodies hit me right in Blue Rodeo and Jayhawks more so than any band on the go. Now I can think of. And. We were talking about it, and I opened the paper that day. I don't know if I told you about it. I don't know. I, I went to see them that day. I brought it up oh. to you. You said that you'd either played with them, I think, or, or, or went on tour, and you, you told me some stories about the, the dude that writes the, their tunes. I forget the lead singer's name. Anyway, anyway, I looked in the paper, Jim, and they were playing, and I went to see them at the Opera House. Is that a place in Toronto? Oh, my God. They played yeah. the Opera House? That wow. was only like three yeah. years ago. Yeah, that's when it was. Uh, I saw him that day and I, I actually left. We'd said our goodbyes, but I, I, I didn't realize they were playing. And uh, Danielle was there with me and we booked a ticket the next day and stayed and went down and scalped tickets and walked right up and looked up. It was wild. What a night. Love yeah. the Jayhawks. Anyway, yeah, they are. They are great. They're great. We played with them once at the Winnipeg Folk Fest. They're, they're just a tremendous band. And there's only been... Uh, a couple of gigs we've had to cancel. And one was uh, uh, the Jayhawks in Seattle when my dad died. And that was, so it's memorable. We were supposed to do a couple of dates with them, which I think we did some, but anyway, yeah. What were you so, doing playing I, one gig in Seattle with the Jayhawks? Well, we might've been doing others and maybe we did those others. I can't remember. It was just oh, okay. the one gig that had to be, had to be canceled. So anyway, I don't know. They're, 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 you know, they're, no. they're a great band. They're, I, and they're, that's often, you know, if I'm cycling or running, they're 
records I, I'll often listen to. They, you know, they are, I figured, you know, we haven't really talked about it ever, really, other than that one day. And I couldn't believe that of all the places on the planet, they were in Toronto that day. I know. Um, wow. But anyway, yeah, I really like they just had a new album come out, actually. And it's 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 classic. It's like ACDC. I don't know if you heard their new album, but it's just like, wow, like this could be vintage. This could be 1985. Well, this could be late wow. 90s Jayhawks. Wow. Uh, Gretzky or Lemieux? You know, I'd have to say Lemieux, but it's it's a strange choice because when Gretzky was popular, that was when I was pursuing music. I didn't pay attention to hockey for 10 years, you know, late 70s, all through the 80s. And uh, so I remember Greg when we lived in New York. So that had been early 80s. He was saying, you should see this guy, Wayne Gretzky. He's fantastic. <laughs> and uh, I remember saying, where am I going to see him? <laughs> we don't have TVs. There's no, I can't just walk into a bar and say, you have the Oilers on? Especially so, uh, at the time. Yeah, so especially. I didn't really, I sort of missed, missed that, um, uh, missed that era. But uh, then when I sort of got back into hockey, then, then Mario was, was and, big. And by the way, earlier you mentioned, you know, one of the keys to longevity, not getting afraid when you're younger. You guys went, and by the way, for anybody listening, I didn't get into the high fives or a lot of the early Blue Rodeo stuff because I did that a couple of years ago. I had a show called Third Man In um, with my uh, buddies, Chuck and Mike, and you can listen. And anyway, I should have said that at the beginning, but if you want to hear that stuff, just listen to that. I, I didn't want to revisit the same stuff, but when it comes to the high fives and it comes to you guys going down there early, I mean, it must've been, there must've been some huge parties. You don't have to get specific and you weren't thinking longevity then, but you know, were you guys in the scene? Like, were you playing uh, at CBTG with uh, Blondie and stuff like that? Yeah. So I think one of the things that we realized quickly when we went down there was that the idea of going to New York to be a star was a mirage. So yes, we played CBGBs. We played CBGBs all the time. But the Talking Heads and Blondie, that had happened three years earlier. So what CBGBs had become was four bands a night. You don't get paid anything. You get a split of the door and you bring your own friends and you're playing for your own friends. So it, we understood very quickly that this was not the place to be to, to further your musical career wow. in public. However, it was a great place to meet and play with other musicians. And it was obviously an incredibly inspiring place to be huh. because those were the early eighties in New York and the early eighties in New York were, that was a very, uh, that was very dangerous. That was, was very, uh, that was all the, anyway, New York was going broke and it was exciting and there was all kinds of art scenes everywhere. So it was very fertile ground to be there, but we realized, yeah, maybe, didn't admit it to ourselves, but we realized pretty quickly that this was not going to work for us. We were going to further our craft and you could get your tapes to anybody. You know, you could call up the biggest A&R guy in the world and he'd get, he'd come on the phone, you know, where are you going to be? Wow. I'll come see you. And so that was exciting, but you know, it wasn't, well, you weren't going to make hay down there. That's so, interesting. Yeah, so there's a lot of And you know what? It, it was a mirage to me because everything I read about it doesn't, yeah, that fine detail, that fine print is not in a lot of these books that I, you know, I, I don't read about that scene in particular, but a lot of the bands say, I read, I read a lot of the biographies and stuff, and that scene keeps coming to the forefront, especially the CB, CBTG, CBTGs? 
CBGBs. CBGBs. Yeah, CBGBs. Country God. blues, uh, CBGBs, uh, gospel, and bluegrass. Yes. Okay. So I, you know, and they're, they're, it's prominent in this. I'm, I'm reading a book now about Blondie and the scene at the time, the punk scene. Anyway, yeah. it's interesting. Um, I mean, I think that if they were honest too, they'd take, like most of those places, you know, as we traveled around the States and played at these iconic bars, CBGBs at, and Max's Kansas City, they're dumps. I mean, they're real dumps. They were made famous by the people that played in them. It would have been amazing to see the talking heads in there. Crowded little scene. Yeah. But they're terrible bars. I mean, CBGBs was unique in that it actually had a decent sound system and a, and this guy Robin that ran it, with it, who was totally unique. But the rest of the places, they were neglected, horrible, uh, dirty, poorly equipped bars. Interesting. Um, Sundin or Gilmore? Oh, Gilmore. Man, Gilmore got me back into hockey. Woo. Really? really? Being coming back? Guy. So I mean, I love that guy like in general, love that guy. Huh? Uh, no, no, you mean me too. So at the time, I'm just thinking of the timing on him going to the Leafs would have been when after your 10 year hiatus, if I'm doing the math in my head, you would have landed oh, yeah. yourself, no, that right? Just, that was absolutely the beginning. Wow. I played. Um, that was absolutely the beginning. That was uh, my I, one year out of the blue. My mother bought me skates for Christmas. And I remember opening them thinking, I'm not going to do with these. <laughs> I, I played hockey for 10 years. And then I started asking around. I realized. There was all kinds of musicians playing hockey. There I can't believe. I are you still, kidding? That you didn't skate oh, yeah. for that long? No, Jim, you're a decent play. hockey player. I wouldn't no. think you could. The same no. thing goes, by the way, no. with hockey. Like, if you take all that time off, like you said about singing. Oh, sure. That's why I'm one of the reasons I still, I, I love the workout five, six times a week. I don't like going to the gym. I just don't like doing it. So if I can get on the ice five, six times a week, especially now seniors probably done now. But you know what I mean? Like that. Because I know friends of mine, oh, yeah. they don't, and their bodies lock up, and you can't do it. Taking ten years yeah. off, man, that's wild. Yeah, yeah. I didn't well, even listen, ask. I think that's true, especially true now because I think I can't. You know, this I, you can't take time off now when you're my age, or it's, you, it'll never come back. But um, anybody can. You that can. was so. That was that was the resurgence of the Leafs, as when 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 Dougie came, and then all of a sudden people were. And I used to go down with Michael Hollett, and he had these incredible seats. Right, but I tell you, okay, so here's a good story. So we, Michael's seats were right behind the opponent's bench. And that used to be completely, like we were elevated, but that was open. So the coach would put his arm on our railing and we're just sitting there. We were so poorly behaved during one uh, 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 playoff series that Mike Keenan make them put glass in. So we're the reason in the old Maple Leaf Gardens that that oh, class was that is We'd bang on them. Oh, we did terrible things. Terrible things. We'd be banging on the... on the. <laughs> what a great story. Banging on the metal. Oh, oh we did terrible things. Remember? <laughs> oh, yeah. We, we were always bad. But it was so much fun. But we were very... We were high-spirited. Well, that's what you want in a fan. Um so Gilmore, like I played one game against him and he comes here for this alumni thing a couple of years ago. And because it's in Newfoundland, you know, I can get into, into these things. <laughs> I'm like, you know, you know, the, the, the book and, you know, I was on Sportsnet a few times here and there a year. So like it makes me kind of relevant to get in the back door of these events because it's like, you know, it's Doug Gilmore and Wendell Clark and these guys. I'm in awe. But, you know, I get to be on their team and everything in this thing. I'm like a fans that we're skating with. So anyway, we're talking to him. He goes, oh, I remember that. I'm like, there's no way he remembers playing one game against me. There's no way. But my dad's there. 
And dad comes over. He's like, hey, Doug. I'm like, and they're talking. And my dad had played with Dave, his brother. I had no idea. I didn't know he had a brother. I didn't know he was a great hockey player. I had no clue. And they sit down and they talk for about an hour. High five. It's like they were old buddies, drinking buddies. And I had no idea. <laughs> and Doug Gilmore was one of my favorites because he plays with so much passion. You know, like if there was nothing else, oh, you just watch this guy play the game. Yeah. And, you know, there's so much you could emulate. Yeah. There's so much to look up to with Doug Gilmore. Um, you know, and I because I was doing it. I, I, was, I, I was looking at him like you were looking at you know, when you were growing up looking at the Beatles and the Stones, I mean, he was one of the players I zeroed in on. Like, yeah, I yeah. loved his passion. Yeah. Yeah, you, no, I agree. I think that he gave he gave the Leafs an identity for when, it, when he when he came and they were they didn't have an identity to that point. And then on a personal level, you know, because of the music counts and the Juno Cup and I've, I've had to ask a lot of favors of people like Doug Gilmore. And Doug is one of those guys that he doesn't make you wait for an answer, yes or no. He just tells you straight up whether he can or can't. He's always been very kind about offering his services, but never left me on the hook, you know, not called back or it just, yeah, he's like, a classy, classy guy. He's like, that's what I found when I, I met Shane Corson. I had a, 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 as much admiration for Corson. Like, now, of course, my buddy now to this day, he never course just continue you know it, it wasn't a game for like it, there, there was the game of hockey there was his stardom and everything but there was this level of of course man like he's just a good guy like doug gilmore came off like a buddy the first time i met him you know and almost i don't want to say it's not less respect it's not that but it's like i met john beliveau and like i never got used to it the years went by and I'd, I'd be like in the same room going like oh my god like i was still nervous doug has a great way about him like you know because People look yeah. at him like that. Yeah. I don't think he always realized, yeah, yeah. but a lot oh, yeah. of people yeah. do. No, I, I, <laughs> I saw him during the, the mania, the, the way the weather was Doug mania. I mean, and he deserved it, but he was, he was a down to earth guy and uh, he treated everybody well. And, that, um, you know, that's admirable for somebody in that position. Uh, definitely. Uh, and I'm sorry, I kept you way longer than the half hour I said, but I just a couple things before we that's go. I, I never, ever talk about your wine. So you've, you've got to, a, a lot you, you've got a, a winery your vineyard is, is this what what i'm led to believe no i i have a there um the uh um i have a a an imprint label um with taw's winery taw's winery is a niagara-based winery okay and it's a very good and biodynamic winery and i have an imprint uh with them i have a chardonnay and i have a, a mixed red blend and i have a sparkling wine although sparkling wine is going to change and then, you know, if we can get our act together, we, we're supposed to make a whiskey, too. Interesting. So you're so we'll pretty see. you're pretty but, passionate about yeah. that as well. Um, oh, I like it all for sure. And and they're very they make very good wine. I, I think our wine is my wine's good. Very good. Uh, last thing I'll ask you about. I never other than the Juno Cup when that happens uh, and, you know, you see a little blurb on TV and then it goes away. Music counts. Uh, can you tell the listeners what it's all about and yeah. how long you've been doing it? Yeah, Music Counts is a uh, is a, a charitable organization that raises funds to give grants to schools to buy instruments and sheet music. So it's it's to help preserve music programs in in schools and uh, ten thousand fifteen thousand dollar grants and that buys you know they have obviously connections now buys instruments brand new instruments and it can be any kind of band they want they can be a dance band they can be a traditional band they can be anything. Just have to be a permanent 
music program. And uh, there's been many ways of raising money. There's a, there's a, I sat on the board for a number of years when it was in its inception. And now uh, Christy Fletcher runs it and uh, she does an amazing job. And they're, you know, they're probably, I don't know, number of million dollars a year that, that gets distributed. It's, you know, I would say that the most remarkable thing about it is, first of all, it does a lot of good, but secondly, the need just keeps growing. <laughs> you, you know, you'll do 600 schools and yeah. the next year there's 1200 applying and then there's 2000 applying. It, it doesn't, there doesn't seem to be a point where it eases off. So it's kind of frightening to think that music programs would, you know, be eliminated from schools. It's very sad to think of that. Well, hopefully it doesn't happen, and I'm sure what uh, what you're doing in Music Counts is definitely 10 steps in the right direction. Listen, I don't want to keep you any longer. I really appreciate this, Jim. We went way over what I said, of course. I milk it for all it's worth. But before we go, I want to know one thing. I'm going to tell a story when you go about the most embarrassing time in my life, and I need to know, was it what, what play by Chekhov that Rena was in? And I'm going to get into it. <laughs> <laughs> it was the single most embarrassing it was, thing. Uh, it was actually about, it was take, it was called uh, take my hand and it was a two hander, just my wife and, and another fellow playing Chekhov. And it was from the letters they wrote each other. They wrote each other. And, and it don't was, forget, we were in the very front row. We, and we were at, it was on Queen street, right? Uh, it was on Queen street. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm going to tell that story now. And you know what I mean? Right. It'll be 20 minutes. So you better take off, but it, <laughs> I really, and by the way, thank, thanks again. I appreciate the, the, the shout out on your concert more than you can imagine. Love your tunes and, uh, you know, you be well. Hi to the whole family. And, um, yeah, and uh, hope to see you after all this. And I hope you do get back on the ice again. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, good luck with your book, buddy. Good luck with the book. Thanks. I'm, I'm I appreciate it. I appreciate you reading it. Okay. See you, bud. See you. Thank you. Ah, and there it is, Jay Cud. Uh, I got to tell that story now. So, and Jim, I told Jim it'd be a half hour, over an hour. He's, you know, just a great guy. We were just talking about Doug Gilmore. That's kind of what I feel like with Jim, though. I mean, and I always got that feeling. So I, I, I'm sure sometimes people are listening, going like, Terry, you're, listening, you're talking to Jim Cuddy, and it sounds disrespectful and that's, I can't come up with the word. You're just more easy going around these guys. I know that, I mean, I'm talking to Jim about Doug Gilmore and John Beliveau to, to many Canadians. He's that to them and he will be. And the more time goes on that will only increase. Uh, so, you know, ap apologies if it came off like that, but that's not it. Jim and I are buddies. And uh, I got to tell you this story. So this was about five years ago, I suppose, I suppose, um, and every year, like we play this tournament and it's called Summit of Arts, the Exclaim Cup. I would go up with the Republic of Doyle, myself, Francis Mooney, Guy Ian Daly lives up there, a few of us from Mount Pearl. Uh, and we would take up the Republic of Doyle, Mike McBride, Derek Holmes, the rest is rest his soul. Um, you know, Mooney, we had Mark Chaplin came out with us. Some, some of our buddies from Newfoundland, Alan Hawko, obviously, Peter and Rob Blackie. Uh, take the shot production. So it, it was a, a mix. I would bring some hockey buddies and um, the boys would have their, you know, Republic of Doyle. And most teams were like, you know, they were all from the arts community, whether it was a radio station, whether it was a band, whether it was a TV show, that sort of thing. It really promoted togetherness, unity, 
you know, creativity. I know that, I mean, I don't consider myself an artist. I still don't. I, I wrote a couple of books. There are more memoirs than anything. Um, you know, I made a couple, yeah, short film and stuff. I, I find it a pretentious, I'm an artiste, but I do do some artistic things. So part of this, I, I still feel like I'm in the outside looking in when I go to these events. But anyway, we had a great time. I told you about it before. Me and Chris Ryan got up on stage at the Horseshoe um, and played as the Divine Rhines, which was a laugh. But that, that's here and there. So it was the last day of the tourney, and Jim says, do you want to come out? Rena's playing in this in this play. So that's that's what it was. It was so Chekhov is this great Russian writer. Um, anyway, as I believe it, oh, this is so rookie. I, I mean, I'd heard of Chekhov, and I know he wrote some plays <laughs> and, and books. Plays more than anything, I believe, but this was a play about letters that he was given by his mistress, I believe. And it kind of went back and forth. So this wasn't a checkoff work, but it centered around checkoff. If I'm wrong on this and anybody was in the building, let me know. But I, I remember that being the case. So it was at a little bar kind of restaurant on Queen Street in Toronto. I forget the name of it, but if you're familiar with the area, not far, not that far. Queen, Anywhere Queen that you're going to hang out, you know, it was probably almost down towards Liberty Village there, okay? So anything from Liberty Village to the Air Canada Centre kind of thing is walkable if you were going to go to a game or something like that, right? Like I'm looking up, point is CN Tower is not far away. So that's where I know we were. We were on Queen West. So we go in and it's three or four maximum lines of seats and probably, I don't know, 30 across, maybe not even that, maybe 20 across. So it's very intimate. There's at most a hundred people. I don't think that, I think there was probably 50, 60 packed anyway, anyway. So we'd come for, I had a great night too. Jim and I and Francis Mooney, uh, Devin, uh, Jim's son. Um, we all, I think Jim's son, Sam, was there too. I guess he would have been because, you know, Rena's a great actor. And people, you know, the, the Jim Cuddy family, you often hear Jim Cuddy, but they're all artistic. And Rena's an, an actress and I believe was kind of on the scene before Jim was. Um, she had found success. So, and she's real good. I remember that night going, holy shit, like she's really into it. She's a kind of actress that can like make herself cry on cue. And, you know, I, I'm an actor. Again, I find that pretentious. <laughs> but, you know, I do do some acting and that I, I don't know if I could do. I've kind of sobbed at it. In, in the beginning of Frontier, I had a scene and I tried it. And I remember it being real hard. But, you know, I, I needed props. That's another story. But I didn't really get myself to the point of bawling with tears running down my cheeks. But that's the kind of acting she was doing on this night. It was wild. It was moving. So I'm there with Jim and it's silent and they're doing their thing. I don't remember. Um, I can look it up and I'll I'll text Jim after all this. The guy's name was great. It was only her and him. I guess he was playing Chekhov and she was playing the mistress. And oh, it was just magic. It was goosebump material. And sure enough, I'm folding my, I got my one leg folded over the other. We're in the front, but I can't really, Jim said we're in the front row. We were in the second row. That was the problem. 
the front row went and we were in the second row kind of like it, it spilled out a little bit um you know say there was four rows the first two had say 10 or, or, or 15 people and the last ones would have say 30 it was a bit of an overlap in any case i had a chair in front of me and lo and behold the fucking phone goes off now i have my phone on vibrate at the best of times most of the time it's on silent if anybody out there is trying to get a hold of me what what what's one common denominator you could be my best buddy you could be my mom you could be a fan you could be a, a listener of the podcast it takes me a long time to get back to people i contrary to popular belief i don't love to be on my phone i have to be and you know i like making posts here and there for the things i'm doing but that's almost like work really um but i'm i, I put it on silent most of the time i don't remember ever ever not one time no exceptions having my ringer actually on on my phone so obviously in this situation just like if i go into a movie i turn my phone off well i turned it off of course now i got it in my breast kind of pocket of the inside pocket of the coat i'm wearing and you see where this is going so i like you know i fold my arms so what i must have done is fucking turned on the phone while i did that because I, I must have squeezed the power button. So not only now, I think that the, my, the, the worst possible scenario would be my phone to go off. So I know as soon as I enter, and I know I'm talking to Jim, like Jim likes talking and so do I. So I'm not going to need my phone for any kind of distraction or it's not going to get too boring that I'll be on my phone. So I turn the phone off. That's the thing. As, as soon as I go in there, I don't know if anybody else. Point is, not only was I careful, I was ultra careful. But I didn't think about that scenario. I should have taken the phone and put it under my fucking chair. But I didn't. I folded my arms and then sure enough, sure enough, the phone. Now, you know, it's coming on. So I can't. It starts to go off. Not only that, all my notifications are coming in. So I just posted something about going to this thing with Jim and something about the tournament that we played or whatever. Right before I turned it off, put it this way, I gave lots of people reasons to send me messages. So I never even have the volume on. But I guess it, the phone I had at the time, when it comes on, the volume's naturally on. I just put it off, you know. Oh, my God. Well, if this what the, the phone ding, it comes on and then ding, 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 ding. I'm getting Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, text. Whatever messages come in, they're all coming in. One's vibrating, one's dinging, one's alarming, one's bumping like a car because I got different things. And I just didn't get the, I got the phone on that trip. I got the phone on the trip. Yes, that's what happened too. We went on the subway and I got off and I fucking left my phone there on one of the seats and we just literally watched it go away. So I went, this was two days before, but I just didn't have all the notifications figured out. So yeah, like it was like a train of, a, a, a cacophony of noise a cacophony never get a chance to use that word <laughs> i use it for all the wrong reasons anyway the thing was going off i didn't know what to do so and i couldn't just run because i had to pass people um so i took my phone and i threw it like towards because it was so hot in the night the door was open it was the exit door it was wide open and you could kind of see the back parking lot and i took my phone yes and i gunned it and of course uh, here I am, an athlete. I'm standing all of 15 feet from the door with people around me. And you would figure 
that I mean, it's almost like shooting a puck into the ocean from the wharf. Like it's right there. It's right there. I fucking miss by a foot. It hits the wall, goes down on the ground and keeps ringing. I'm mortified. At this point, I'm just saying, kill me now, kill me now. And I don't know Rena, Jim's wife, like I know Jim. I've been in her company. I've told a few jokes. I'm sure she knows that, you know, I'm not a total asshole. That's all I know she knows. And at this point, I don't even know if she knows that. So I get up. I don't know what to do. I, and I, I'm just saying, I, get, I just start kicking at my phone, and then I get it, and I just chuck it. I chuck it so far out the door that you're not going to be able to hear it whether it's going off or not. I come back in. Back in. I'm, I'm in the doorway. I don't know. People are acting like they can't hear it. Rena and Buddy are going through it like nothing happened, and I know it did. I know Jim must be absolutely beside himself. He must be fucking freaking. I have to sit, again, my phone, outside of wondering what's going to become of it. I threw it in a fairly isolated spot, but it's Toronto. It's a parking lot. I'm hoping I'm just going, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. I don't even want to go back in. But then I'm like, if I don't go back in and address it, I'm going to feel worse. I don't like anxiety, and this is going to be the worst fucking hangover anxiety I've ever had in my life. So I go back in, sit down, grin and bear it, and it's an unbelievably moving performance. Selfishly, all I'm thinking, all I'm thinking, hopefully it happens to somebody else. Hopefully someone else's phone goes off, so I'm not the only person. Imagine how ignorant and selfish that line of thinking is. But I'm mortified. It's the most embarrassed I've ever been in my fucking life. The thing ends to like a room full of tears, claps, like. And I know what everybody's thinking, when, at least about me, is that during one of the most intimate parts of this whole thing, my idiotic phone went off and they're thinking how ignorant I must be. So I, I just can't wait to tell the story. But as we all sit down and Rena's there with, with this dude and, you know, their family and their friends. Everybody leaves other than, and we, and we all go somewhere now for like a second meal tonight. Cause earlier I like five o'clock, we had a meal. Now it's like 10 o'clock. Anyway, we go out and I'm so like, I'm, I'm breathing deep. And, and Jim keeps saying, don't worry about it. Like, but he's not talking a lot. And when Jim doesn't talk a lot, I know that he's probably pissed. So like, we're going there no one's saying anything, which is worse. I wish Rena said, you're an asshole. And Jim said, figure it out. Go fucking home and we'll go for a beer tomorrow. But no one said shit. I'm just sitting there going. And then I'm going like, are they trying to make it out like it didn't happen? And then I say it at the table and Rena's like, oh, oh, that. And I'm like, oh, that I'm right in front of you. And, the, I, you know, and my ringer, all those notifications were so stupid. It was like an alarm bell. And then like when when Mario from Super Mario Brothers jumps on the top of a mushroom, you know, that sound. That was one of them. It, it, it was yeah, a cacophony of noise. Anyway, anyway, they're such nice people that we had a meal, everything else when we got up and, and even the dude, I mean, he must have been, I over apologize though. And I told everybody, but I, I really don't even, I, I think they believe that I'm sorry, but I don't think they really believe that I have my phone turned off and it came out of my pocket. Cause what are the chances that that's going to happen? In any case, we got through it. Jim and I are still buddies. And um, COVID is so fucked up that I'd actually welcome a time like that now. Although it was, it was the most embarrassed that I ever remember being. It would have been anyway, but I mean, you know, you're there with Jim and everybody. I felt like I was representing him.
Like, you know, everybody there knows that Jim is married to Rena. Half of them wanted his autograph. And the guy that he comes with ruins everything. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> From there. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Um, okay, some... Uh, I always try to answer some uh, listeners' questions. So actually, before that, before that, I want to say one thing. Uh, you've heard me talk about DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports, and how Payday can come every day by entering their contests contest with huge cash pr- prizes up for grabs. This week, a jam-packed with action ranging. This week, oh, this week is jam-packed with action ranging from basketball to golf, and DraftKings has plenty of ways for you to have a front-row seat to all the action. Making a lineup on DraftKings adds excitement to every night and is simple to do. Draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Every moment comes means more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. It's simple. Each player has a salary associated with drafting them. Assemble a lineup of players while staying under the salary cap and then sit back and watch your points pile up. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to users users across all sports all over the world. DraftKings is the leader in daily fantasy sports, so there's no better place to get in all the action. Now that you know how to play, download the DraftKings app and sign up using the promo code THPN. New users will get a free entry with their first deposit. That's code THPN to get a free entry with your first deposit. Only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions re- de- uh, re- apply. See DraftKings.com for details. So I butchered that, but you get the idea. DraftKings is where it's at. Uh, okay, so some of your questions. Hi, Terry. My name is Jake. I am from Orlando. Oh, nice. I used to play for the Orlando Seals, Jake. But if you're listening to this... Probably know that. Okay. Uh, Big fan. Used to watch you. Okay. Uh, My son is... Your son is 13. He's a big fan of hockey and wants to play in the NHL. Do you think there is a chance? Okay. Well, hmm. I don't want to be discouraging, but I don't know where you live. If it's coming from Orlando, he's 13. It's not exactly a hotbed with... A thousand rinks, as far as I know. And to be honest, I mean, it's just a bit of fun, right? I'd say he's playing for fun. If you're starting at 13 and your be-all and end-all is the NHL, you're probably in for a rude awakening. I don't mean to sound, you know, it would be one in a million, probably more. I don't don't know anybody that I heard. Ed Jovanovsky went uh, first or second overall, first overall, I think in 94. You know, he started, they say, at 12, but he was skating and stuff. I think it was organized, and I think that's a exaggerated story. I could be wrong. But in any case, he wasn't 13. It wasn't 2021, and he didn't live in Orlando. I, I'd say just join, have a bit of fun. Um, it's, it's hard to learn skating and all that goes with the game as, as a teenager and expect to get drafted in four or five years. Uh, and hockey is not like you know, football or, or many other sports where, you know, you often are a rookie when you're 24, 25. Uh, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but uh, Jake, I would say just tell your kid to have a little bit of fun if he's playing it. 
don't take it too seriously or he's going to beat himself to death. Uh, first and foremost, it's about fun. Even those guys in the NHL are having fun to a degree. Uh, but they've grown up, you know, and by 13, most of them are, are either stars on their team or they're well into honing their craft. Sorry to be negative, but I don't look at that as negative. I mean, I know I'm not going to make the NHL. I blew it on a colossal level when I, in my 20s, more so than... <laughs> You know, a lot of people that you know or came across, and I still love the game and played senior hockey knowing that that was going to be the maximum level that I'd play. You know, that was in my 20s. I'm 44 now. There's a whole lot of fun that can be had. And who knows? Maybe he can learn the game and get to teach it to some people that are younger than 13 when they're starting, and maybe they would be able to use those skills that they use uh, to make it so you would uh, indirectly be, uh, you know, involved in creating uh you know, a player that's NHL caliber. But I think we're getting ahead of ourselves. And the first thing I'd say is have fun. Uh, Terry, when you say you were rookie of the year, I looked and said, no, uh, okay. Uh, hold on. Hold on. Let me see this. Okay. When Terry, you said you were rookie of the year. I looked into it. And in the East Coast League, you need to, I'm trying to read this. You need to have had, you need to had have. Okay, what you're getting at, what you're getting at, Seymour, is, uh, so Seymour from Texas has a question, and it's about, um, I don't think I ever did say I was rookie of the year in the East Coast League. You must, uh, you must have me misquoted there. When I was rookie of the year, that was in Fredericton, and that was for the team, not the league. I was our representative. I remember, uh, I think Michael Hanzus might have gotten it. Remember Michael Hanzus? Played uh, a number of years in the NHL. Well, at the time, he was playing for the Wooster Ice Cats. I was our team rookie of the year. Um, notable guys I beat out for it were Donald McLean, who ended up being a huge scorer in the AHL, played some NHL games. But most notably, Eric Belanger. That's a subjective thing. Eric Belanger, I remember, and he played lots of years in the NHL. LA and Minnesota come to mind. Uh, he had 40 odd points. I had 39. I remember he had, but I had more fights. And at the time, I think it meant something. I think my plus minus knowing Eric probably would have been a little bit better, although he did become a good two-way player in the NHL. But yeah, if I didn't clarify that, I never meant for the AHL. I certainly didn't mean for the East Coast League, Seymour. Uh, I only played a little bit in the East Coast League. Um, and that was for the Cincinnati Cyclones. When I played in Orlando, when I played in uh, Colorado Springs, uh, Idaho for the Steelheads, the, this was the West Coast League. Now those teams are all in the ECHL, uh, which is the, stood for the East Coast League, which, you know, had teams in Anchorage and San Diego. It's hard to be the East Coast Hockey League, so they went to the ECHL. But, um, yeah, I'm not sure. You must have just – I must have misspoke, or you probably heard me talking when I was drunk or something. I never did. Uh, but I've brought up, uh, we have, we have a team here called the Newfoundland Growlers. And when I talk about the East coast league lately, it's been to do with that. When I say that we won, I'm saying the Newfoundland Growlers and we as in, I'm a fan. My buddies, Zach O'Brien, Marcus power, James Melindy, uh, you know, that have been on this show. James has been on actually, um, the boys I got to get on. They're playing over in Germany now, but, um, no, those are the guys that I'm referring to. And I think I said we, meaning the growlers, like 
we, as in I'm a Newfoundlander and I cheer for the Growlers. I don't have anything to do with the organization other than I'm a huge fan and wish them all the best. Thierry, what is your favorite album? See, that changes all the time, too. And I, I find it hard to go with one album. But let's just say this. Let's let's give you my favorite Beatles album by process of I, there's just so many. I mean, I was just mentioned Astral Weeks. When I talked to Jim. I mean, at times that's my favorite uh, Outskirts by Blue Rodeo. And, you know, a lot of it's subjective. I know Jim's Skyscraper Soul wouldn't be like up there in the top albums ever on a critically acclaimed like Rolling Stone level. But I love it. And it's personal to me. So there's that. Um, but, but, you know, my favorite album by my favorite band is Sgt. Pepper. Okay. And I don't think I'm unique in saying that this by many people is considered the, the best album of all time. That's so subjective. Who knows what turns your crank, man? Like, but I say it for this reason, Sgt. Pepper, first of all, you could argue all this, but okay. It's the first concept album, right? Where the Beatles, and it was McCartney's idea, but you know, they all got on board and they all brought something different to the table but they stepped outside themselves. They had all these hits and, you know, how, how are we going to be the Beatles and how are we going to, well, you know, I'm paraphrasing McCartney here a lot, but, you know, as I understand it, you know, they wanted a different identity. If we can be Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Bland and not be the Beatles and step outside of our identity. It was the first time that had been done really. And then you get, you know, and they're writing all their own music. That wasn't even a, a a thing 10 years before really did buddy holly's the only one i know that wrote mo the vast majority chuck berry there are a few but like when you hear elvis for you know i know you know that name whoever you are wherever you are well elvis didn't write his songs he wrote part of in the ghetto like it was very very few that elvis wrote a lot of people that came at the same time right weren't writing paul anka you know the famous canadian musician it, he started, he was writing songs for people and just giving them, and you know, you, that's why you see a lot of these songs bounce around. And if I had a hammer, you'll see, oh, that Pete Seeger and Trini Lopez also had it out. And someone, you know, they'd all take turns singing somebody else's song. But the Beatles, now, not that the Sgt. Pepper was the first, but the, the Beatles, you know, were the first band really that I know of that one of the first definitely they took the ball and ran with it with you know they were writing all their own songs and wanted to be creative and they wanted to do their own album cover and they wanted to so there was so much creativity just coming to a peak with sergeant pepper and you got to think of the time it came out right and people were starting to wear their hair long and you know this was a couple of years before woodstock the beatles weren't at woodstock but if it wasn't for them it wouldn't have happened so the inspiration the the first time the words were written on the inside of an album the lyrics were on the album the jacket there right on the on the inside so that had never been done um just uh, one song flowing into the other right it doesn't happen on every song but it happens on a few and if you listen to the beginning it's this it's it's we're sergeant pepper they're telling you we're sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band welcome to the show you know the first song and then it goes right into <clears throat> i get by with a little help from my friends Ringo is playing Billy Shears, right? Billy Shears, right? What would you think if I sang out of tune? Would you stand up and walk out on me? That's Ringo getting uh, with a little help from my friends, which comes right after Sgt. Pepper. And it, 
you know, and he's playing Billy Shears. And then it goes from that into Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. The Beatles deny it, but listen to Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. And it's clearly, I mean, revolves around LSD, right? The girl with kaleidoscope eyes, Lucy Sky Diamonds, LSD. I'm not trying to promote acid here, guys. I'm assuming that most people know that. If you don't, check it out. So, and all the colors that are bursting at you on the album and, you know, and then you get within without you was uh, George had started to experiment with the sitar over in, in, in uh, when they visited the Maharishi in India. And, you know, which first I think the first was Norwegian wood that came either the year before. Yeah, the album or two before on Revolver. So anyway, it, it, it's the most important album by the most important band. OK, and even if you don't like their music, the chances are whoever you do like, and that could be hip hop, country, soul, classic rock, light rock, whatever you want to say, someone was influenced by that. Right. So I just think when given the timing of it, given the, the, the cultural impact and it transcended music and gave so many artists a new idea, it was almost like the world you know, there was a, went Technicolor, you know, like, so Sergeant Pepper, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band is not only my favorite, and, and I mean, a day in the life, I could do a whole podcast on the last song, and I don't want to, so just look it up, but it's an absolute, a day in the life, the last song on, on Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band is an absolute masterpiece. And anybody that knows music at all would have to agree with that, whether you like it or not. But the impact and the subject matter, I mean, right? The, most people were writing about I love you, you love me, or surfboards or whatever it might be, right? Cars. The Beatles had some heavy shit going on. And, you know, in my mind, my favorite changes, but... I will, unless something different comes along and changes things. I mean, Nevermind did right by Nirvana. I'd live that. I was living out in Washington State when all that went on. But it didn't quite surpass Sgt. Pepper. Some, it's going to take a movement like that, and which is right now we're at that time, right? We're, we're usually musicians, artists, film uh, playwrights, directors, whatever it is. Now is a very inspirational time, not only for the, the whole... Uh, COVID, right? That's extreme, but you got the political spectrums now are extreme. You know, a lot of people think the election was rigged, um, which, you know, I'm not saying a song is going to come out about that, but that creates a lot of tension and, 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 and you know, uh, climate change. Again, whatever side you're on, I don't really give a shit, but there's tension, right? Because there's two sides of that. Um, it just seems like a very, like we're on the precipice of something tumultuous. And music and art often is birthed out of something like that. Just think when all that creative 60s invasion and all that, you know, folk or rock movement and songwriting creativity you know what are we talking about here we're talking about the 50s and 60s is what i've been talking about so far, and that came right after the war 
right? So there's, and, and you know, on the, on the verge of another one uh, being the Vietnam. So yeah, there was a lot of people not only pissed off, but a lot of people inspired, a lot of people pumped, a lot of people like war. Uh, but, you know, there was just a lot of inspiration one way or the other. And that, so anyway, I could go on and on about the Beatles and Sgt. Pepper, but it's inspiring. It's creative. And like I said, the most important album by the most important band ever. Uh, you might disagree. So be it. It's a conversation piece. Uh, that's why music is meant to be listened to and interpreted differently. That's my take on it. It's a lot of people's takes, but it's certainly not the only take. Uh, and uh, while it is my opinion, uh, it should be taken as simply that, just an opinion. Anyway, listen, I've been at this now today for a while. I'm kind of pumped. Uh, I, I was to have Jim on, and I still... Uh, I still uh, want to go on here for a half hour, an hour. I had lots to talk about, but I want to check on my daughter. She just finished her theater, and um, I'll talk about what I, the other things next week. There's no rush. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, when we get back on the go again, please visit my friend Peter Wedgwood at Wedgwood Cafe. If you need any catering, which is uh, probably more up your alley now, check that out, as well as Greensleeves, Greensleeves downtown and uptown. Those locals, Greensleeves Uptown on Torbay Road is serving. You know, they got their full menu on the go. So just call and check it out. When things come back tomorrow or soon <laughs> tomorrow, fairly optimistic. When things come back after all this, come back down and see us at TJ's Pub. We'd love to see you. We got a great little thing going there. So keep it in the back of your mind. Outside of that, thanks for tuning in and uh, have yourselves a great week. Stay safe. Stay positive, and uh, I'll catch you on the rebound.